is coming out worth it? Because if you do this, you're going to have so much grief over fighting the wrong battle for so long and not being able to get those years back and so much anger for what they've done to you to make you miss those years. Hey everyone, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb Show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes, when we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. I've got the heart of a Hey friends, I'm Kara and I'm Caleb and welcome back to another episode of our podcast. If you're new here on this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. Yes, I think we could all agree that we're looking for answers in life, but answers come only when we learn how to ask the right questions. So we explore the questions and then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that inevitably occurs as we wait in the uncertainty for answers that may or may not come as we expected. Today, we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Nate Postalweight. And we were so moved, so moved by our time together. It was incredible. First of all, he invited us into his hotel room. That's that Southern hospitality. Yeah, it was so wonderful. He's just such a safe human. What did our time with him uh, make you feel? Oh, gosh, I felt so much. But truthfully, it was one of the most brave and honest yeah. and vulnerable conversations. Mm-hmm. And I said it on the podcast, but I really think this conversation and his transparency will give so many people permission to really pursue freedom. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I knew based on Nate's Instagram going into this podcast that I was going to enjoy my time with Mm -hmm. him. I did not expect to enjoy my time with him this much. I honestly walked out of there like feeling like I found a new best friend. Yeah. And then we made him come and join us for a glass of wine because we we had wine. We did. He did not. We (laughs) wanted to keep talking. We definitely did. But I like you said, he's he said so many brilliant things and just his uncanny ability to share his story with so much transparency and honesty was just so beautiful in and of Mm -hmm. itself. And what I really admired is that, you know, we live in a world where we're trying to find our truth and we want to live our truth. Right. But that can get gray from time to time. Right. And Nate did a great job at articulating how there were times where his actions really reflected what he would call his truth. And he honored that truth, right? But there was mm-hmm. also times when his actions didn't necessarily reflect his truth, but more so reflected, like they were a response to his trauma. Mm-hmm. And Nate was willing to hold himself accountable and realize that, no, listen, as much as I want this maybe to be my truth, if I follow this quote unquote truth, it's going to lead me down some dark places. And I was really appreciative that he took the time to actually explain that. Yeah, again, so brave and so vulnerable. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Nate, he is a speaker, a coach, and a voice for many who have untold stories. Just over a year ago, Nate began his work in creating a space for people with untold stories. He did this by sharing his own. Nate's platform, The Other Side of Saved, is a space for people who are craving a connection 
where they can feel safe enough to take off their masks. Yeah, and through frank discussions on really complex trauma, mental health, and sexuality, Nate allows others to explore their own journey of trauma in a safe and transparent way. From coaching to writing, Nate's entire mission is to gather people who are wounded and hurting to help them find their voice connect to their stories, and ultimately find healing. Yes, and no matter what your story is, I can guarantee you that you'll be encouraged by Nate's journey of learning what it looks like to trust himself, his journey of listening to the truth inside of him, and ultimately finding freedom. Mm -hmm. And we'll have links to his website and his social media channels below. As a heads up, this episode does have some heavy material that may not be appropriate for all ages. And if you are someone who has sexual trauma in your past, please note that we cover some material that has the potential to be triggering. Yes, and before we dive into what Nate has to say, just a couple of things. One, can you do us a big favor? If at any point you're listening to this episode and someone comes to mind, can you just take the time to share this episode with them? Mm -hmm. That would mean so much to us. Also, secondly, Nate, at the end of this episode, really dives deep into his new online coaching platform, Story Brand Coaching, which is amazing work that he's doing and Mm -hmm. he really breaks it down what it looks like and really what this means for you and how he can help you connect your story and to ultimately find more purpose and freedom in life and as always we hope that this podcast and that this conversation blesses you as much as it does us You can imagine being a six-year-old, tender-hearted, empathic gay kid in the deep south, youngest of seven kids, trying to make sense of turmoil inside of him, who over the course of the next several years is going to experience... um, a lot of physical and sexual trauma year after year after year, just living in this environment and being exposed to other sectors that all had layers of trauma. And this whole time knowing that there's something about you that's different and that that something is intertwined with you thinking this is why these things are happening. Mm. Because no six-year-old has the capacity to say, this has nothing to do with me feeling different as far as sexuality. So, fast forward, preteen, a lot of, um, a a very unfortunate chapter of sexual abuse with a 36-year-old pedophile who did the whole grooming process and that went on for a couple of years and then that took probably five more years before I could say to someone out loud, this is what I understand so far. Mm. And everything that I knew about God was to be pleasing and satisfying and falling into this bullet point list of this means that you are righteous, whole, lovable. And my list suggested that I wasn't. Mm. And because there was so much trauma to begin with, there wasn't room to consider that those things were unfortunate and had nothing to do with me. 
And so at 18, I entered Christian therapy and I entered into the conversion therapy movement to completely turn myself inside out, undo any and everything that I, I knew about myself as far as my sexuality was concerned and skipped all the years of actually addressing the abuse and just focused on, Hey, you'll be whole, acceptable, loved. Once you heal this thing in you that you identify as same sex attraction. So fast forward a little further, early thirties, nervous breakdown, go through this whole process, begin actual trauma therapy Shortly after that, that's when I was introduced to EMDR, mm-hmm. really started mm-hmm. doing the, the, the real work that where I was able to experience change. Fast forward five more years, and I was at a barbecue in Denver. And that night, there was a guy there that was making eye contact and putting out suggestions of just like, Hey, I'm here. And it was so uncomfortable for me to be seen in that setting and to be identified as this is a potential other gay man, because that was just something that was not allowed. Mm -hmm. And I went home that night and that was when my question came about. And that was, is coming out worth it? Because if you do this, you're going to have so much grief over fighting the wrong battle for so long and not being able to get those years back and so much anger for what they've done to you to make you miss those years. And that was my question. That's what started this whole process of really understanding what it means to be whole and feel alive inside of your body Mm. to feel connected after having the damage of exterior external harm done to you over Mm. and over, Mm -hmm. but to rebuild and put it all back together. Wow. Mm. How was, uh, was there like an immediate answer in your heart where it was like, yeah, it's worth it. I'd, Um, I was so tired Mm. that the next day I was getting ready for this 4th of July party I was hosting at my home. And I remember driving around that day and I would get these like flutters in my chest of my heart pounding. And I kept crying out to God and saying, what does this mean? Mm. What does this mean? Like, is this truly an option for me? And if it is, why didn't I know before now that that I could have done this? Living as a gay man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't even question it. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, never. Even though you knew you were gay, it just wasn't allowed. Yeah, so when I started therapy at 18, this is probably one of the most cringeworthy parts of my story, is when I exposed the abuse at 12, 13 by this pedophile, the, the, I was on the... At the time, I was a missionary, and my dorm dad and I had this come-to-Jesus meeting about this pain that I was carrying, and I told him the story. That was the first time I told someone 
this is what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say at that age, I was 18 years old at the time. I didn't identify it as sexual abuse wow. at all. Um, that's how confusing sexual abuse is. Mm-hmm. I also believed that I created that whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. I believed that I caused him harm for having to abuse me. But those, that's what a pedophile does. They yeah. convince you of these things. And, and, and through the work that I've done, I go back to that story and I recognize, God, he was a mastermind. Mm. He spotted me miles away and he knew exactly what to say to shape yeah. a narrative that I would be committed to. Mm-hmm. So when I did share this with this dorm dad slash spiritual leader on the mission field, his response was, that I needed to repent for being involved in homosexuality. Oh God. Thanks guy. Oh man. Yeah. I always, I always tell people knowing him, he believed that he had no intentions of harming me. He was not an evil guy at all. He actually believed that. Yeah. Which speaks volumes of sadness for myself Mm -hmm. and him. Yeah, absolutely. To not know that there were, that there was other options, Mm. other routes. So, the vulnerability at that time was so fragile yeah. that that put me as a perfect candidate to be committed to conversion therapy for as long as possible. Mm. Um, all of that mixture of, oh, God, so it was my fault. Mm. Like, I know that that felt really shameful. But now that I know that was my fault and this that was a result of me being gay, you know, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then just went to the Exodus conferences and did a support group for quite some time and stayed with the Christian therapist for a long time who just kind of held that layer of dark righteousness over that just said, mm. this is just not an option. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed committed to that for so long. And, and you know, I was taught very early on that my sexuality, my hunger and desire to be intimate with a man was born out of being sexually abused and, and other abuse that had gone on from my father. You know, when I hear messages like that now, you can imagine what comes up inside of me. Mm. But then I think about being told that at 13 yeah. or 18 when there weren't other resources. Yeah, how would you have known any different? Yeah, so you just, you believe it and you commit to it and you are so sold out to gut yourself and empty yourself of whatever that is and fill yourself up with God so that you feel some sort of security, safety, and can make the shame go away. Mm. But the kicker is during that whole time, we never addressed any of the trauma. Wow. We were so focused on the sexuality. And so that was... That's where I say I was, I was hiding yeah. most of my 20s and 30s because I felt so much shame and apologetic. Yeah. How much time had passed when you went home from that barbecue and you asked yourself, this, is it worth it, um, to actually coming out and accepting it? <laughs> 20, 24 hours. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah, That's I texted, amazing. You really went for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I texted my closest friend and um, I said, I need to see you today. And it was, we don't really speak like that. And so he, for whatever reason, he got it and he responded and said, I will be at your house between 3.15 and 3.30. Here's where I am now. Mm. And I was like, 
he understands something's going on. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it came out to him. Did that he have any inclination of knowing that you were gay, or was he completely blindsided? Yeah, my my all of my closest friends knew that there was this thing that I called same sex attraction that I struggled with, but um, <laughs> one of the jokes after I came out, there were these sisters in Denver that I would always check on. They were clients of mine. I sold them a home and just got to be really close with them. And I came out to one and she told the other and, and the other was like, Oh my God, I want to see him. And I've got so many questions and we got together for a happy hour. And she said, I've got so many questions, but I don't want to overwhelm you. And I (laughs) said, no, 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 it's, it's fine. And she said, are you nervous to be with a man for the first time? Mm. And I started laughing because I thought it was a joke. <laughs> and then I just looked at her and I said, oh, Jan. I said, you know that closet that I came out of? And she said, yeah. And I was like, I was super busy in there. Like, <laughs> if you can just imagine a revolving door. Like, I was not bored. Yeah. I certainly had a lot of shame. Yeah. And I was hiding, but very busy. Yeah. That is so funny. So it was this... Uh, it was this thing in my life that the way that we talked about it in my men's Bible studies and all of the things that, that we do mm. through, through our, our Christian faith. Um, it was like, he struggles with his same sex attraction. He struggles with his sexuality and it would be the, the, there was just language around all of it. Hey guys, I stumbled. Hey guys, I fell. Hey guys, I'm really struggling right now. Mm. And, um, I was really earnest in that whole approach. So, you know, did you know you were gay? Yeah, for sure I did. But I thought that all of that was a trauma response. And there are yeah. pieces of my sex addiction that have been a trauma response. Right. There have mm-hmm. certainly been levels of unhealthy behavior and exploring sexuality that have mirrored trauma. Mm-hmm. And I've had to look at that very closely, very mm-hmm. deeply, and be able to say that's a dangerous path that has nothing to do with sexuality, that has to do with harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your, uh, it's called conversion therapy. Yeah. Oh man. In in that process, did you believe like, oh yeah, I can overcome this, or I can not be same sex attracted? Was 100%, there a part? Hundred percent. Yeah, you did. Hundred percent. Wow. There was never a part of me that that that's where a lot of my resentment comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because, had to walk away feeling so broken. Yeah. 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 And they they do that. You know, when I went to Love and Action in Memphis, the I wrote about this piece um on my blog it was one of the last ones that i've done and i want to preface this by saying each piece that i write in every podcast that it takes about two to four hours then i'll go back and rewrite it mm. again that conversion therapy piece took uh two months wow i would stand at my kitchen counter and i'd have to stand up to write because i couldn't sit down and my hands would start shaking mm. when i would write out the things that they said and did yeah but it really is um if you think about someone who's practicing something like conversion therapy, notice they never go after anyone who knows who they are. Right. right. It's never going, they're not, never going to approach someone right. who's mm-hmm. really well supported and yeah. anchored. Yeah. They, they really go after the weak. And, um, yeah, I did. Mm. I absolutely believed a hundred percent up until the night before I came out. Mm. I believed that that was something that God wanted to do in me and that I just had not surrendered enough or 
done enough of that therapy or explored masculinity enough. It was just this kind of jumbled mess of how do I get to the other side of this? Mm. Yeah. Instead of accepting this. Right. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. always so like just that, that is this, the the quest of spirituality is just this place of radical acceptance Mm -hmm. and not trying to get to the other side. And what I'm curious about is if you can take me back to this time where you're hiding your truth about who you are, Mm-hmm. And you're living what what I can imagine to be crippling shame mm. because of these secrets mm-hmm. that you're holding on to. But at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, you are highly successful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You investment banker or doing real estate, but an angel investor. Yeah. Right. And so you're, you're a very successful man, but you're living with this really deep, deep secret all the while feeling like you're fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious is because for so many of those people, um, that shame would be so debilitating and crippling that it would just wipe out their existence. It would wipe out their life. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to wake up today? Right. Mm-hmm. But you somehow turn the shame into motivation or how do we get from living with this facade behind this facade, behind these masks, but yes, still being conquering the world in that process. That's a great question. I think that I knew that I've never had the margin or the support to be able to fall apart fully. Yeah. Mm. So I knew that, and for me, it wasn't about success. It was about survival. Mm. And I would always approach whatever I was building, whatever I was doing and go at it full force with this mindset of you can slow down later Mm -hmm. You can slow down later, Mm -hmm. but slowing down and resting was not appealing to someone who had so much living inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And the shame was crippling, but it was crippling when I got home at night and you know, had a beautiful home that was very empty and I was either, you know, eating ridiculous, terrible food or watching pornography for hours on end or having anonymous sex with someone and then saying the whole time, tomorrow I'm going to be more diligent in my Mm -hmm. walk and pray more and Mm -hmm. do more where I don't want to do these things anymore. I didn't understand that there's a different route and a lot of freedom and understanding that your response to life is very normal based on what's happened to you. I can really like just, I'm fast, not fascinated. I guess I am fascinated by that. Um, Because for me personally, like in my endeavors and like my pursuit of the NFL even, right. And graduate everything that I've done in my life um, between West Point and the military or bobsledding on the NFL it took take me years to unpack that the driving force behind all of that, the ambition at the underlying root of it was shame around my sexuality. Mm. Like that I was able to turn into this machine mm. um, because I thought and I experienced that at higher levels of success, I'm always accepted. Um, but I never realized that it was shame behind that whole pursuit Mm -hmm. that machine was driven by shame Mm -hmm. and i just Mm -hmm. remember unpacking that and being like oh my gosh and it's interesting based on your personality levels like or personality that the shame can be it can manifest in your life and for an overachiever right you're gonna accelerate Mm -hmm. and you can do great things for an underachiever maybe or if the trauma is you know hitting you differently then it's like why even try i'm not even worth it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's always like you have, we've all experienced the shame, but it's just interesting to see how it's going to manifest in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So good. How old were you? I heard this on one of your podcasts when your 
I believe your mom came up to you after you scored. It was yeah. your first touchdown oh, or you were six. Mm -hmm. And the thought process that you had at that time was? I'm accepted because I'm loved most when I score touchdowns. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think about how much time you're spending not scoring oh, touchdowns yeah. mm -hmm. and the ability of a six-year-old to process what it means to exist and live mm -hmm. and show up mm -hmm. and understand what connection means and what connection mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah. It's so confusing. And I think that's why it's so important to look back and say, this message lived so long because he was six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Obviously, if I told you right now, you know, you, something about your performance right now, you, you have a clearer ability now to understand. Right. That's what I do. That's not who I am. And then you gravitate towards what gives you more satisfaction, mm -hmm. more sense of being whole, mm. away from shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting as you were talking, we, well, first, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, for sharing all <laughs> you that. Are, um, you are really inviting mm. and really warm to be around. So thank Good. you for your vulnerability. Good. I feel like your story, um, yeah, it, it gives people a lot of permission mm. to pursue freedom, mm. which is incredible. Um. But as you were talking, I, I was thinking about how so often we get wrapped up in this idea that we can hate ourselves into what we want to be and how easy it is to use self-hatred as a motivator. And on, on an earlier podcast we were recording and he said, love tells the truth. Love always tells the truth. And I, I, it stuck out to me. And even as you, you came out, I'm like, you, you loved yourself enough to say this is true to mm -hmm. me. And I think that's so powerful when we think about like, um, just even this idea, like this idea that we're all broken, we've been kind of playing with that idea on the podcast. And one of the girls, she asked like, what if I'm not actually broken? What does life look like if I'm not broken? And all the narratives that start to shift when we don't actually think we need to fix anything in ourselves. And granted, that doesn't mean that we're not pursuing healing or more wholeness, but that we're not actually inherently flawed. And I grew up in a very inherently flawed culture, like always thinking I had to fix myself and now tracing back how that has translated into my life. I was telling Caleb this earlier, but I, I grew up thinking I was inherently flawed and the messaging of that got translated onto my body. So how do I fix my body? How do I become skinnier or prettier or, or something more presentable? Because if I can fix that, then it's going to fix this inner brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so fascinating as we unpack this idea that like, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of evangelical Christianity teaches us that we are inherently flawed and it's really dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's really dangerous. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you place God now in your story? That's good. You know, it's, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago and at the end, the guy said, um, what are your views on religion and Christianity now at the mm. end of the podcast at the very end. <laughs> oh no <laughs> and I said um <laughs> I don't know and I don't care mm. and I don't mean that to be crass but here's what I mean <clears throat> everyone's belief system is built around what they've been exposed to and what they've experienced in life mm. and what I have such a hard time with with evangelical Christianity is the amount of toxicity that lives behind the walls 
the intent, the lack of education, and the undeniable amount of harm mm. that is done to millions and millions and millions of people with no change and still promoting this insular movement mm. of they're out, we're in. Mm. People misunderstand a lot of what I post and what I write about and assume that I'm trying to attack the church. I'm not concerned with the church. I'm concerned with the people that they've hurt. Mm -hmm. And I understand that hurt. And that's who I'm going after. Mm. I don't think in my lifetime there will ever be time to make sense of all that I grew up understanding about God or Christianity Mm -hmm. or being Baptist or religion or why we ever did shout to the Lord and put our hands in the air. Like all of these different things that just does not make sense to me now. Yeah. I don't think there's enough time, Mm. but my focus is finding the people who were like me living isolated in shame and thinking all of those things Mm. were their fault. Mm. That them not being able to perform, identify, excel at Christianity was a result of something fundamentally wrong with them. That's who I'm going after. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm going to spend my time. Mm-hmm. That's why we're going to be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> you no, guys are very good. similar in that. I think the, there has been such a direct correlation for me in deconstructing this idea of the evangelical church's God that I was taught to believe in. Mm-hmm. And as I deconstructed and as i did my own healing work it was like they ran parallel with each other Mm -hmm. right and a lot of people would probably call what i now believe very heretic Mm -hmm. you know and they just are heretical as a heretic sorry Mm -hmm. um i've been hitting the head a lot okay (laughs) football but um it's just so interesting and now like i don't even have those conversations with people unless i know you've done the work or you have demonstrated a level of openness or compassion or empathy that you're willing to hear something that you don't necessarily believe in mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just like, what's the point? I deeply appreciate your answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, that night that took you 24 hours to come out. Right. Talk to me about that moment of radical, profound acceptance, mm-hmm. self-acceptance, acceptance mm-hmm. of who you are. No more train, trying to fix yourself, change yourself. No more hating yourself. A, I can only imagine you felt like simultaneous just freedom, mm-hmm. uh, probably mixture with like, oh my God, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious about, because I know when it comes to acceptance, there's a lot of grieving that has to take place. And maybe mm-hmm. you still as much as and as detrimental it was it was to you to think that you were the issue and if you could just be converted then you would be okay there's probably still a level of grieving that whole part of you or that that uh that uh story that was your narrative for so long mm-hmm. um i'm just always curious of what that acceptance process looked like for you and simultaneously that grieving process and i'm not saying that grieving process is done um but I know that so many people just have a hard time to a radically accept because we don't know how to grieve to grieve the job that we once wanted or the dreams that we once had, or mm-hmm. that will never be a mother or that will never be a father. How do I grieve all of this so I can accept it? And I think grieving what we didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, absolutely. It's huge mm-hmm. to understand. Like you, you can't beat yourself up and hold yourself 
and contempt mm. for what you did not know. Mm-hmm. You're talking self-compassion now. That's yeah. that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we, when we're favorite. supposed to do better and be better whole life. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I would say um, it's interesting that you asked that question about on the coming out process when there was actual relief. I noticed that I felt an urgency to reach out to several close friends that I'd known for a long time. Mm. And... <clears throat> About a weekend, I guess it was a maybe one weekend of the process, I spoke to a friend of mine in Nashville who I'd known for, at this time, probably 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. And we'd known, known a lot about one another's stories and our life. And he was catching a flight, and we kept text. We texted for several days trying to figure out when we could chat, and we finally had this moment he was at the airport in New Jersey and he had like tucked himself off into a corner and he was like hey what's going on sorry it's taking so long my flight leaves in an hour what's going on and I said how would you respond if I told you that I gave up that battle Mm. to undo this thing about sexuality came out and met someone was happy like met someone and had a lot of peace. I said, how would you feel about that? It was this long pause. And he said, happy. Mm. Awesome. And this is a you know, straight white man who has two beautiful, you know, twin boys and had known me all those years and I noticed that when he said that, my body did not respond at all. Mm. And that was the moment where I recognized your guard is up so high. Yeah. You're not experiencing how much love is coming your way Wow! for the people who are genuinely so happy and so relieved that you're doing this thing for yourself. Mm. And that's when it started to change. That night, I remember crying in the shower, hearing him say, happy. Mm-hmm. Just thinking that, I had no idea that the friends that had known me so long would would, yeah. would be happy. Like genuinely, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting an explanation, some sort of judgment, but it, it right. just took a different turn. Yeah. What a blessing to have those people in your life. And that really is like the profound just benefit of just community. Yeah. It sees you for who you are and accepts you for who you are, even when it's not what I want for my own life. That it's it's okay. Yeah. There, I, I feel like my coming out was exceptional. I yeah. certainly lost, I lost the key relationships that I had. I was going to say who left. <clears throat> All of the people, the therapists that I'd worked with for many years. Mm. Um, oh, because it was a conversion therapist. Yeah. yeah. And, and his response was, um, you know, I love you and I care a lot about you. Um, and our relationship does not change. We had talked on a at least bi-weekly basis for several years after I left Nashville. Mm. Did he see himself as a failure as a therapist? Like if no. he was a better therapist? No, I believe he actually believes that. Oh, did he see himself as a failure? You know, I don't know. I think that, you know, was, I wasn't apologetic in my coming mm-hmm. out. I was pretty direct and just mm-hmm. saying like, listen, I'm not willing to do this to my mind or my body anymore. Yeah. And, um, our relationship extended long beyond my therapy for years, which was wildly inappropriate. But, um, 
we had stayed in touch, like I said, on a biweekly basis for several years. And um, he said, I support you. I love you. Obviously, I, I don't I don't feel like that's correct or accurate. And I've never heard from him since. Wow. So that was... That one was, was really Hard. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but very freeing mm. because the people that appeared in my life mm-hmm. um, and then just other people, one friend of a friend, um, we sat on a rooftop at a bar in Denver and he said, well, do you mind if I share with you theologically what I think about this? And I said, only if you are open for me to share with you some things that I think are painfully wrong about your marriage. Oh, good for you. His head head jerked. I love it. (laughs) And he looked at me and his face kind of turned red. And I said, "Um, my sexuality has nothing to do with your theology. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that whole group dissolved over time and I didn't I didn't plan on saying that but it was kind of the audacity too because mm-hmm. I felt like your marriage is in shambles right. mm-hmm. like it's absolutely in shambles and you're worried about the theology yeah. about you know my you know my sexuality mm-hmm. um I I think too a lot of the kindness I received was my closest friends knew at that point I had gone to outpatient centers. I had done so much work on myself. I'd been in therapy at that point for 20 years Wow! and just was, was tired, was Mm -hmm. exhausted. And I don't mean seeing the therapist every week. I mean, going to the intensives, doing the eight to 10 hours of EMDR three and four days in a row, like doing the gut work to say, get this stuff out of me. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people were relieved. I'll tell you who was really relieved were several female friends because they were like, Oh, I'm so glad he's gay and this wasn't me because I don't understand <laughs> why nothing ever happened. And that uh oh. one of my friends, we were walking at the park and uh um, Why doesn't he love me? She, she said, uh we were walking and and I told her I said her name's Megan and I said, Megan, I've had a lot of change that's gone on over the last couple months and I'm not worried about you being supportive at all. Um, but I did want to tell you that I've had this, this kind of reckoning with myself and I've come out as a gay man. And, um, I just wanted to share that with you. She was one of the first people that I talked to walking around the park. And as we (laughs) were walking, her smile just increased more and more and more. Like, as I said, and I feel a lot of peace. I mean, she just was so happy and relieved and overjoyed it was it was really beautiful and all of a sudden there was just this hard stop and she grabbed my wrist and her jaw was legitimately clenched and she was so angry and she goes fuck you're gonna get married before i do (laughs) she was like here you are busting on the scene and all of a sudden (laughs) there were that would totally be my response that's so funny there were a lot of uh but she told me later, she just said, I'm just glad to know that there's not something wrong with me yeah. because mm-hmm. I never understood. Yeah. And I was like, I did the whole yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But talk mm-hmm. to me about uh, if you're going to make it a little bit more practical, because uh, I know that so many people, and I love your question, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, because even you can apply that to so many, when you've lived so one way for so long, is it is it worth it to like 
accept that everything I just did was a lie? Mm-hmm. Like, is it worth it to go and do that and have those hard conversations? Like, is it actually worth it? And I think I've talked to people in my own life who are very close to me and more 50, 55, almost 60 years old, and they're realizing that, oh, my gosh, like, my life is in shambles, but is it worth admitting? Mm. And now have to confront the fact that I've just spent 55 years living in a way that's just not actually true. And that's really heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's hard. And I can understand Very. why it's kind of like, maybe you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to say yes to this journey. Mm-hmm. You can say no. And it's okay. God, universe isn't going to love you any less. Right? This is your choice you get to make. Um, but for people who have said yes and that are trying to really learn what this, and to live in this place of acceptance, what does ex- waking up tomorrow morning or waking up today and practicing self-acceptance look like to you? When you, when you perform a narrative for so long and you actively use communication mm-hmm. and performance to shield yourself from being seen, mm-hmm. and then you move that shield so powerful right yeah like there's it's just so liberating and it does come with with a certain level of pain i believe right now there are things in my life that i'm conditioned to that i'm not aware of that need some focus or some help Mm -hmm. and i believe that's going to be the case when i'm 70 and i've done 30 more years of therapy absolutely i just think that that's that's the way that that it works to live in survival mode to a certain to a certain degree um i will always believe that it was worth it to take that risk just to know what it feels like to be okay. Mm. And you, you look back at the extent and the amount of time and energy that went into fitting into a mold, um, or being apologetic from a core level about who you are and finally calling its bluff. It's unbelievable. I always tell people my coming out had so little to do with sexuality. Mm-hmm. It had so little to do with sexuality. It was much more about looking at what I had been taught for, you know, 30 plus years about shame and deception and denial and looking at dead square in the face and saying, fuck you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got this and mm-hmm. I know what to do. Really trusting yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I will say everything has improved since I've come out. Mm. Everything has improved mm. since I've come out. That's incredible. I think the question is, is like, just even for me, I'm like, what am I hiding from? Mm. You know? And if you can be earnest and honest with yourself, like, what are you hiding from? Are you hiding from having that one conversation? Are you hiding from that phone call? Are you hiding from, you know, doing this with your walking away from your job mm-hmm. that you know is truth, but what are you hiding from? Um, and I also am very compassionate towards those sides of me because that's just fucking scary. Mm. (laughs) It's vulnerable to take that risk and allow yourself to be seen. Um, and so my question and what I'm constantly working towards is how can I 
show up today as much as I can show up, be honest and truthful to myself and with other people so that I can actively practice showing myself that I'm safe and I can do hard things. I'm safe and I can do hard things. I'm safe. And then suddenly you almost neurobiologically, right, you're raising the homeostasis level of your central nervous system to feel safer higher levels of vulnerability and now mm-hmm. you can actually do those hard things and you can live your truth mm-hmm. and we can experience the freedom that you're talking about yeah. i would imagine that living uh like outside of your truth for a long time and making that a practice has to feel super disconnective mm-hmm. like you're almost on a daily mm-hmm. disconnecting from yourself mm-hmm. what does it look like for you to stay connected to yourself right now uh, my therapist my therapist um a while back I was um, really angry about something, really flustered. Mm. And um, he, he smiles because I have such an intensity that like when I get to his office, if the door's open, I walk in and start talking. <laughs> and he's like, welcome to your session. And I don't even yeah, recognize yeah. that it's like, maybe oh, there's he's somebody on else the in the room? <laughs> <laughs> I've texted before and, and he'll say, Hey, my client just got here and, uh, and I'll say, well, ask them what they think about what I just told you. Like, <laughs> I need to know. Um, recently, we had a conversation. We've, there, the two big topics that we talk about now are dating, intimacy, that kind of vulnerability, and um, connection to my body, mm. understanding how much trauma it's carried and, and what that means. And we did a exercise where he asked me, he said, how tall are you? And I said, six one. And he said, do you feel six one? And I said, no, definitely not. And I've noticed physically how small I feel in most settings where I've never perceived that like physically it's not possible. You are six foot one. And so we had this conversation and I kid you not. He said, um, stand up. And I stood up and he said, take a deep breath. And he said, look down at the ground and see how far away it is. And I looked down. And he said, look up at my ceiling. And he said, now hold your hands straight up in the air. And I'm almost touching the ceilings. And he said, sit down on on the couch. Sit right in the middle. He said, I want you to stretch your arms on both sides. And the tips of my fingers were touching the edge of the couch. And I burst into tears. Mm. And it was him. And then I asked him, I said, is this a couch or a love seat? And he started laughing and I'm crying. <laughs> and he said, he said, he said, that is a full size couch. And, um, and I kept looking down and I noticed three cushions and I was like, this really is a couch. And it was that recognition of mm-hmm. when we carry trauma in our bodies, we just have no idea of what reality is mm-hmm. and what we feel and how to interact and engage I've been on such a battle with my weight most of my life. I think that sexual abuse survivors can relate to wanting to feel protected. We don't want to be seen. We don't mm-hmm. want to be exposed. And I think that's a big part of why I would have like weight gains and mm-hmm. losses, but also recognizing the importance of me connecting with my body as this sacred, powerful being mm-hmm that has housed all of this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and all of these stories Mm -hmm. and start to move the stories outside of my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I have grown to love hot yoga. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I just recently got to a place where I was like, I hate weights. I'm never going to do weights again. I love group workouts with like kettlebells and the big ropes. And I I love that. I love yoga. I love hiking. But I think just now starting to understand, I'm never going to work out with a personal trainer again. It's just, I, I don't like it. Yeah. I so don't enjoy you know it. The, yeah. 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 Um, Done breath work? Do what? You do breath work? Breath work classes? Tons. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Connecting to the breath is, is huge. Last question that I have for you. And then anything you have. Uh, is there, you started off the podcast with a question that really shaped your life in a, a profound way. And mm-hmm. as Kara said, thanks so much for sharing all that. Secondly, is there a question that you know you should be asking but mm-hmm. currently afraid to ask? Um. Yeah. And it's, I don't know that I have the exact question, but it's all about affection, intimacy in a romantic sense. Mm -hmm. And I talk, my, my therapist, we we speak really openly and I flatline when we talk about that, that type of a connection. Mm -hmm. It's not, I used to be, I think I would use it as a bragging right a couple of years ago, where she was like, Oh, I just have no desire for a relationship and don't care. And now I'm understanding more that I really don't have that desire, but I think that it's as a protective method to keep parts of me safe that have been so, um, treated so poorly Mm. and have been so misaligned with, life. And I think that's the main thing that I'm asking myself now. I, I want to follow that up with when you live with so much experience that creates chaos in your world. And then you get to a place in your life, which for me was about, it started about 10 years ago, but certainly four or five years ago where living inside of my body and being me was not chaotic anymore you're not in a hurry to share that with anyone. Mm -hmm. You're just not in a rush Mm -hmm. to invite that in. I had no idea how strong I lean towards introversion much more than being extroverted. Right. Mm -hmm. And that had nothing to, I think there's a misperception about being shy. I'm not shy at all. Um, I have no problem putting myself out there, building a career. That's fine. But I really enjoy being Amen. alone mm. and I love when things are really yeah. quiet and really still and yeah. I've learned that I have to have that yeah I agree. that's really good um thank you for sharing so much of your story you bet. we've gotten to hear so much of who you are um can you tell us a little bit about your work in the world and what you're doing to help people get free yeah you know I I knew I was in real estate for 13 years and <clears throat> had a great run loved that career but felt like there was a lot more to offer that would be substantial and meaningful and connect me to my people. And I finished my um, license. I, I got my certification from the College of Executive Coaching in Santa Barbara. And I really enjoyed that course, but mine is more holistic. Mm. So I started Story Connect Coaching a few months ago. And the basis of the coaching is to give someone really sacred, safe space to say out loud mm. 
what needs to be said. And the coaching is to implement someone becoming their own coach. Mm. I think that even in coaching and counseling, there's this weird reliance. Yeah, where you become very dependent on the other person. Mm -hmm. Mine is specifically set up where I don't coach longer than six months. Or you're not doing your job. (laughs) Right, right. So it's set up where you come in, we do, there's a specific program I have that's six months long. And I actually have my clients sign an agreement that helps them understand the difference between a counselor and a coach. And Mm -hmm. mine says that a coach is not trained to do trauma work, um, but we will dig into the story to have a better understanding of where you've been, where you are and where you want to go. I had no idea I could love my work so much. I had Mm. no idea that there was this thing that you could do in life that would connect you to people and you could offer something that provides them safety and awareness and being seen and being known. And, um, it's been incredibly rewarding. Mm. It's been an absolute gift i think because i had so much bad therapy and bad coaching in my life mm-hmm. i've really tried to hone in on what are the principles that you can put in place that helps someone going through any type of transition feel safe and come out on the other side mm-hmm. stronger and more aware and not more worn mm. not more weathered down so it's been it's been amazing. That's amazing. What kind of person comes to you to work with you? You know, oddly enough, I have a lot of clients going through divorce. Mm. I think that divorce uh, obviously is an invitation for a lot of people to say so much is altering in my world yes. and I need support and understanding and compassion and I need to make sense of all that's going on around me. Yeah. Um, have a lot of... Uh, clients who I, I mean I have clients who are CEOs and are looking to hit specific goals mm. and I work with them and it's great and it's effective and you know we move through that process and then I have those who um, have experienced loss mm. um, I have one client recently who, who lost a, an adult child mm. and walking through that process and understanding grief and the power of grief um, but really the, the primary purpose is to help someone connect why they do what they do mm. by, by understanding their story. And, and I have this theory that I explain that we all have this timeline and we have very specific moments in our life that mark that timeline. Mm-hmm. And those marks are in us. And when something repetitive happens, that mark knows when to come alive and push back and say, I don't like the way that that felt Mm. until we go back and investigate that. We're not really going to understand and be aware of why am I responding to this? What is this? Mm. So it's helping people connect with their story so that they can engage with life from a really clear and conscious place. So good. I love that. If someone only has 30 minutes with you, Mm. what would you want them walking away feeling? Seen and understood seen and understood Mm -hmm. that's good no matter what no matter what their story is Mm -hmm. I've got the heart of a hero